to the first ever episode of RC's Week in Review. I'm going to start trying to do these during when football season is over. We'll see how that works when football season is not going on, but I'm definitely going to try to start doing this every single week. Um, it's going to take a lot of discipline on my part to actually do it right now. I'm going to see if I can get everybody going on Facebook. Oh, it's not what we want. We want to let everyone see what we have to do here. All right, there it is. Should be. There we go. Now we're live. So welcome, welcome to RC's Week in Review. It's a somber week because we have to talk about yet another school shooting. When you look at this situation and you try to analyze it and you say, man, it happened again. How is it possible that this happened again? Yet another school shooting. And it seems like nobody has any of the answers to solve these kind of things. So I'm going to try to bring the situation out, talk about it, discuss it, try to figure out solutions, try to identify the problems try to break it down forensically like I always try to do with everything. You break it down uh, forensically and analytically. And sometimes, sometimes you can come up with the answers. This school shooting seems a little bit different, even though we've had 96 mass shootings, not school shootings, but we've had 96 mass shootings since the, the last uh, decade. So this decade we've had 90, yeah, 96 mass shootings in America. If we didn't have any more shootings for the rest of this decade, it's two more years, three more years, really, if you look at it, we still would have more than we had last decade, and we have more deaths, too. But I feel like there's something different about this school shooting. Students are taking up arms. That's a bad that's a bad uh, word play on my part in this particular situation. But students are coming to arms. They are trying to uh, advocate for themselves, which in some ways is very good to hear. But of course, maybe they're not as informed as you would like them to be. Maybe they uh, aren't as, in this case, they are as articulate, but maybe their thought process isn't, isn't as good as you would like it to be. But I like it because they are getting out there and trying to care about their country, they see it as the call to action. Let's play a clip from one of the survivors named Emma Gonzalez. The people in the government who were voted into power are lying to us. And us kids seem to be the only ones who notice and are prepared to call BS. Companies trying to make caricatures of the teenagers nowadays saying that all we are is self-involved and trend-obsessed and they hush us into submissions when our message doesn't reach the ears of the nation. We are prepared to call BS. Politicians! Politicians who sit in their gilded house and senate seats funded by the NRA telling us nothing could have ever been done to prevent this. We call BS! We say that tough, they say that tougher gun laws do not decrease gun violence. We call BS! They say a good guy with a gun stops a bad guy with a gun. We call BS! They say guns are just tools like knives and are as dangerous as cars. We call BS! No, they say that no laws could have been able to prevent the hundreds of 
senseless tragedies that have occurred. We call BS that us kids don't know what we're talking about, that we're too young to understand how the government works. We call BS. Now, besides how disturbing that is and listening to this young lady and her her, her cries for help, basically, but it's just amazing to me how articulate these kids are. I don't know if they've been like trained or they got all the public speakers or the drama kids or what, but it's really just amazing how they've organized so quickly and they've been so articulate. I mean, almost like too amazing in some ways, because I don't know any kids that talk like this, but maybe it's just an amazing school full of kids that are really, really articulate. But there is something different because of the kids response so quickly. I've never seen students mobilize so quickly and articulate and people seem fed up. When you hear people talk about it, like everybody almost wants to do something even if it's not, they don't agree on what it is that they want to do, it seems like everybody wants to do something to stop this crap from happening over and over again. Me, I'm numb to it because it just keeps happening over and over again. How many times can you hear about these things before you're just like, oh, my God. Like, I, when I hear about it, I don't react initially. I keep seeing in the headlines and it just, I guess it depends on how much media attention it gets. If it lasts three or four days, the attention, it eventually comes on my radar. But I intentionally don't read details. I intentionally don't delve into it because the first couple of days, it's just sick. And they talk about all the horrible stories like that coach who like used himself as a human shield to protect the kids. Like, that's just not what you want to hear. And as a teacher, it's even scarier. So I think sometimes I ignore a little bit of it. But over the days, I'll usually read and get some more details. And I started listening to trying to find a solution through politics, through people and trying to figure it out. But for me, it's just I'm numb to it. Because if you really like thought about it all the time, you just break out in tears all day long and you'd be scared for your children. You'd be scared for the children. You're scared of yourself because you work in a school. And you'd be scared because the children that you work with especially when you work in a place like I work when a high risk environment in the inner in the inner city it's like you know it's not something I really want to focus on inviting some more people the problem that I have come up with the number one problem is both sides suck when we do this, you can watch it on Facebook, the same familiar arguments with the same people. Our politicians have the same arguments. Everybody pretty much has the same old arguments. And honestly, it gets tiring. But let me cover the sides. First, we have the conservatives slash gun supporters. They suck because they obfuscate. That means they try to take every detail that has nothing to do with the actual argument to the point where we render the argument itself useless because they've eaten up so much, so many of the details. They play semantics when they know exactly what everyone is talking about, but they use their knowledge of the guns and their, their experience with guns to make everybody else sound like they're uninformed when they know what the main idea is. Bill Clinton used to do this. I doubt a lot of NRA members voted for Bill Clinton. Whenever there, I watched a documentary about him and the Mono Lewinsky scandal, and he sent all his people out there to lie for him, essentially. And what he would do is he would look at every single detail of a report, and he would take a highlighter, and he would highlight all the inaccuracies in these reports. So his 
his uh, people would go out there and they would attack all the inaccuracies. They would attack the woman. They would attack anything that wasn't true within the story instead of looking at the actual story, which was that Bill Clinton was sexually harassing and sexually assaulting women. That was his trick. That's how he got out of stuff. Same thing with gun rights people. They look at it, they say, oh, it's not really a semi-automatic or it's not it's not a fully automatic and it's not this kind of gun and you don't even know and we could do this and we could do that and it would just be like a semi-automatic or an automatic so everything you say doesn't matter. But in the end, you know what the hell everyone's talking about but you're obfuscating because you know your argument is weak. You know that and really... Why does anybody need an AR-15? Why is that even on the table? Why is a weapon like this, a weapon of mass destruction, available for anybody to purchase, including mentally ill people, including terrorists who are not on the terrorists that are on the watch list? We'll get to that later. Terrorists that are on the watch list are not banned. That's not part of the background check process. And they're not banned from buying an AR-15. The 223 round AR-15 travels 3,000 feet per second. The round tumbles upon impact. It is a killing machine. So why do we have it at all? You could say your freedom, but obviously that weapon has been created in order to kill folks. And it's been seen. So like we can play semantics if you want, but if you if they're not stopped, how many people died? How many people will be hurt? How many people got hurt in Las Vegas? How many people died? The worst tragedy we've ever had as far as mass shootings go. So, but again, that's the point they want to make. But but we obviously know with the argument that that gun is probably not something common sense wise that should be on the market. For conservatives, it's a zero-sum game. Constantly shooting. But some weapons kill more folks faster than others, Mark. That's the point. Why would you give people tanks are created to kill people? You're going to let tanks go on the street and everybody have a tank. But anyway, uh, it's a zero sun game. This is what conservatives do. This, this would be an example of what Mark just did. It's a zero. It is a zero sum game. He's Mark's providing an example of what uh, conservative gun owners do. They constantly shoot down solutions because they don't want any kind of traction. Every law doesn't stop every crime. That doesn't mean you don't create the law. That's not logical. That's not logical that every son, every law is supposed to stop every crime. If that were the case, every we wouldn't have police officers because police officers do not stop every crime. So if we ban one thing, it doesn't mean you stop every crime, but it's going to prevent certain crimes from happening or it's going to prevent the most possible damage from happening. The idea is not to uh, stop every crime because no law does that. Nothing can do that. But what you are doing is recru- reducing crime. And God forbid, when people do get in those situations, you're making it harder for them to kill. Like these are just common sense arguments. I can't see. There is no logic to any of these cases for these people saying this other than they just want to do it. So even still, you wouldn't want that gun in the hands of certain people. But let's go to the other side. Liberals, they love to attack people for their thoughts and prayers. If you do any reading about human history and oppression, what you will find out is that thoughts and prayers go a long way. People that are victims of the Holocaust, 
you will read their writings, you read books they've done, and it will say that thoughts and prayers got them through. When they were in concentration camps, thoughts and prayers got them through. It helps them. Positive energy, positive thoughts. All those things have scientifically been proven that they get results to help people's mindsets. Now, granted, I know what you liberals are saying. I know what you're thinking. You're saying, I want to prevent these things. So thoughts and prayers aren't enough. But don't belittle people for what they believe in their situation because that's how they choose to handle it. Because you're not helping the dialogue with your anger. Because guess what? No matter what happens, people are going to say thoughts and prayers. There's nothing you can do making a new law to stop something that's already happened either. So all of your debates about the new law doesn't do anything either. But thoughts and prayers, all they really are is thoughts until they're actually done. And it's still, again, not going to stop every single thing. So the liberal obsession with knocking thoughts and prayers is a silly one. The next thing that liberals do is they have a lot of incorrect information. The one thing that the gun people and the conservatives have on their side is most of the time when liberals talk about guns, they are inaccurate. Or the statistic will go around like the 18 school shootings that everybody was reciting as soon as this happened. They said 18 school shootings. But the nonprofit organization that was in charge of that was counting any shooting that happened in a school. So if the guy was fleeing from the police he stopped at the school and crashed, and a cop shot him. That counted as a school shooting. If a guy just went to the school, and this is like not during the hours. If a guy went to the school and killed himself after hours, that counted as a school shooting. They called every time a gun was discharged as a school shooting. And obviously, that is not what is thought of when we think of a school shooting. So that number is inflated. And when you use statistics like this, and everybody mindlessly repeats those numbers, you're hurting the cause. When the information isn't correct, isn't correct, you can't have much of debate and you don't want to talk to that person that's debating because they're not accurate. The next is the hearts and minds. Liberals ignore this. People will say, oh, they take God out of conservatives will say they took God out of schools and things have gone downhill since. Now, I'm not a believer anymore, but I will say that winning hearts and minds is an important thing. These people are isolated. They're lonely. They feel rejected and they don't have any avenue. And so they are loners and they go shoot up a school. So that's important too. Like how you treat people, the atmosphere, the kindness that is shown within school. School could be a very, very brutal place. So why wouldn't you focus part of it on trying to help people before they get to the point where they're so disenfranchised that they want to shoot up a school. But you you hardly ever hear a liberal talk about that part. And then lastly, mental illness. Mental illness is a thing. That's not the only problem that happens with these school shootings, but it is a problem. And again, liberals, they tend to focus on gun-only solutions. They want to just take the guns because deep down, a lot of liberals want to take away the Second Amendment. And so that's their solution. But there are a lot of responsible gun owners out there, and I don't have any problems with those people having guns. And even if they have an AR-15, like, they aren't the ones shooting up everything. So they're not the problem. And most people that have AR-15 aren't shooting up the schools. They aren't shooting up everybody. They aren't even shooting up their neighbors as much as we don't like necessarily thinking they should have that capability. If that is not banned again, it's not the end of the world. But... Liberals only focus on gun-only solutions. 
then let's think about some other solutions that are plausible. This is one. People aren't going to like it. But again, there is something to it. But gun owners are very stuck in what they are, <laughs> what they like. Again, you ban AR-15s. That is the weapon of choice. No matter what, when 9-11 happened, guess what we did? We changed the entire way that we did our security in airports. And it was inconvenient. It was inconvenient to a lot of people. It still is very inconvenient to a lot of people. But why are guns this holy grail where we can't make any modification in the right? People have a right to travel. They have a right to go as they please. There are all kinds of restrictions on cars. There are all kinds of restrictions on airliners or what you can do at the airport, what you can take on the plane. Why are guns so much different than everything else? So to me, if there's a weapon that's the most popular weapon of mass killers, I would ban that weapon. And then let's just see what happens after that. But I know my gun friends aren't going to go with that. So let's go with stuff that L- common sense solution that everybody can agree with. Background checks for all sales. Like, I don't understand. It's a deadly weapon. We close the gun show loophole. I don't understand why there wouldn't be a background check when you're giving, when you're selling a lethal weapon to someone. But there are large, not a large percentage, but there's a significant percentage of gun sales that people do not go through uh, background checks. And the gun show loophole is one. I don't understand why that would be an issue. If you're a law-abiding gun uh, owner, why would you care? Why would you be upset by a background check or having to wait a few more days to get a gun? We would ban people on a terrorist watch list. That's something right now that's not there. You could be on a terrorist watch list and still purchase a gun in America. You would tighten up the system for background checks. Oftentimes, in the case of the South Carolina shooter, the information that needs to be on the background check isn't there. You would also enhance the background check so that like this kid who had been, the police had visited 12 times, the FBI dropped the ball when their hotline was called and nothing happened. They knew about this kid, that he'd been reported to the police, he'd been reported to school officials, and no one did anything. That should be on his background check when he goes to buy a gun. No, you can't have a gun because everybody's calling and saying that you're threatening to shoot up the school. So why would you get a gun? (laughs) So I don't think, again, that's a hard thing to think about. I don't think that's a hard thing to say, oh, my gosh, that's a bad idea. Like, why would anybody be against that? Unless you're for criminals getting guns. Like, we want to get the guns out of the hands of criminals so that gun owners don't feel threatened. They don't feel threatened that someone's going to take away their guns or they're going to lose some of their rights with the guns. So let's get it away from the people that are the bad people. There's something called an extreme risk protection order. An extreme risk protection order, basically, like the guy that we were just talking about in Florida, if someone is showing signs they're going to hurt someone else or they're going to hurt themselves, you would get a protection order against them and you would confiscate their guns. Like if they're mentally ill, if you check into a, like a place for mental illness, like here is called Tucker's. If you check into one of these places, then you shouldn't have a gun. Like somebody, you should have to turn your gun in. If you're a drunk driver, you lose the right to drive for a while. Another one would be you ban people with protective orders. So like if you get in a fight so bad that your woman thinks that you want to kill her and a judge agrees, gotta give up a gun. I, I, again, I don't understand how anybody would be upset by that. 
another one is banning bump stops. Bump stops effectively turn semi-automatic weapons into automatic weapons. And I know you could change it and do this, but let's make the people go through more work in order to do the killing. Let's not give them the easiest possible avenue to killing the most people. Again, every law can be circumvented, but at least like make it challenging. The age limit. It should be a 21-year-old age limit to buy an AR-15. For some handguns, it's 18. And you can buy, you can't buy a beer at 18, but you can buy an AR-15. Like some of that will stop the school shootings. There are not a lot of 30-year-old men that want to go and shoot up a school. Most of these are very young men who either are in school or just getting out of school. So you eliminate that by making the you make it more consistent the age limit to buy maybe buy any gun, but at least to buy a semi-automatic gun or buy an AR-15 is 21. That would have hindered this. At least it would have. You can say that he would not have got that weapon. And we talked about banning people with protective orders. Next day, government. Funded research. The government shuts down all research basically on this issue because they are owned by the NRA. So there's no research to see what's effective in preventing gun violence. We have a gun violence problem that is so far above any other country. And a lot of that's because guns are part of the fabric of America. When America was founded, we used guns. When we uh, spread West, the only way to take care of your property, the only way to keep your land was to have guns. I understand that. I don't have a problem with that. Is that rugged individualism. Americans going to say, I'm not going to wait for the police. I'm going to protect my family. I'm going to protect my home. And I get that. So that should not be a problem. But it's nothing wrong with the government funding research to figure out, okay, why are we doing this? Is it the movies? Is it just the easy access to the gun. Is it because we don't have background checks like we should have? Like, why do we have these things happen here? And basically nowhere else in the industrialized world is this happening. So researching would be good. Let's switch. Now we have Laura Ingram versus LeBron James. She made quite a stink, I guess, in the sports world and the political world when she told LeBron James to shut up and dribble. Let's listen. Hey, superstar LeBron James is talking politics again, and this time it's R-rated. Here's his barely intelligible, not to mention ungrammatical take on President Trump and a new... Can we stop there for a second? So Laura Ingram is saying LeBron James is ungrammatical and barely intelligible when... Donald Trump is ungrammatical, bigly, and unintelligible. Like, you can't point out more hypocrisy than that. Her guy can't talk. LeBron James can talk circles around Lord, I mean, not Lord Eagle. She can, he can talk circles around Donald Trump. And Donald Trump, I mean, and LeBron James is, is fine. I mean, there are sometimes he gets tongue-tied when he's not talking about basketball. But your guy can't talk. But let's hear the rest of it, Laura. ESPN podcast. The number one job in America, the point of person, is someone who doesn't understand the people and really don't give a fuck about the people. But wait, there's more gripping insight. ESPN host Carrie Champion asked James and fellow NBA star Kevin Durant about what she described as Trump's racist comments. 
I feel like our team as a as a country is not ran by a great coach. It's not even a surprise when he says something. It's not even a surprise. It's like laughable. It's like it's laughable. It's laughable and it's scary. But it's also scary. Right. Because I shouldn't be numb to your racism. Right, right. I shouldn't be numb to your behavior. I'm numb to this commentary like must they run their mouths like that? Unfortunately, a lot of kids and some adults take these ignorant comments seriously. Look, there might be a cautionary lesson in LeBron for kids. This is what happens when you attempt to leave high school a year early to join the NBA. Again, you're talking about LeBron James and his lack of articulation, and you support Donald Trump. I just cannot get past that. And it's always unwise to seek political advice from someone who gets paid $100 million a year to bounce a ball. Oh, and LeBron and Kevin... You're great players, but no one voted for you. Millions elected Trump to be their coach. So keep the political commentary to yourself, or as someone once said, shut up and dribble. So Laura right there, then this is the problem I do have with it. Laura right there is referencing a book that she wrote in 2006, and she's playing off it. She wrote a book called Shut Up and Sing. It was about the Dixie Chicks and just Hollywood and any celebrity, any entertaining entertainer saying that, um, that, speaking out, and this particular was a following up about President Bush. And so she wrote that book. She's condescending. This is how she talks. It's not a racist thing. It really isn't. This is how she talks on a show. I used to be a fan, but if anybody was supporting Trump, I can't intellectually understand how he even is with the set of values that you once said. So I don't support, I can't listen to anybody that does a talk show or that does anything that supports Trump. Not if you're just a regular person, but if you say that you're a conservative and you and you support this man whose, whose budget is about to burst America at the seams and all the other hypocritical things that go against conservatism that Trump has done, I can't support you. But I used to be a fan. And this is just what she does about everybody. She went after the Dixie Chicks. She went after George Clooney. She's gone after everybody that speaks out against Republicans because that's what she does. She is nothing but consistent. If anything, and no doubt, she's a hypocrite. She's a hypocrite because her guy can't talk and she's talking about LeBron James. Trump cannot form a coherent sentence. She's a hypocrite because Fox News has Joe the Plumber on. They have all kinds of people They've had John Voigt. She's personally had people on her show that were not uh, political commentators. They were just athletes. Well, maybe John, Kurt Schilling's been on there. But she's had people that were not, they were entertainers or whatever, that were not political pundits or politicians on the show. So that's hypocritical right there. But it's hypocrisy, not racism. When we call things what they're not, if this woman treats everybody like trash, that Chris agrees with her, that's consistent. That's not racism. She literally said the same thing, except for a few words, shut up and dribble, shut up and sing, because the only reason she said shut up and dribble is because they play basketball as opposed to sing like the Dixie Chicks. She's been consistent. But we call it racism. We crowd wolf, and nobody wants to hear what we have to say when we're talking about serious things. But let's talk about something that's pretty fun. Finally, we de- dealt with these heavy issues. Let's talk about Black Panther. 
best movie I've seen in a long time. And it's the best movie I've seen in a long time because, A, it's a Marvel movie, and Marvel rarely, rarely, rarely disappoints. But I will tell you, as a black man, that the movie was empowering for me. And I'm not the blackest guy around as far as black pride and all those things. But to see black people depicted in that way is so rare that black people were are depicted by the media or by Hollywood as kings and queens. I said today on Facebook is the first time I can remember a movie where black people were portrayed as technologically advanced. Do you think that's an accident that in 39 years, I've never seen a group of black people on a television or a big screen as superior technologically? I've seen a lot of black people that were superior athletically. I've seen a lot of black people that were superior as far as singing goes, as far as entertaining goes, but very rarely, even public speaking. Denzel had the great debaters, like we've seen that, but a lot of those are historical. But I'm talking about a fictional story where we have the chance to create any kind of person in any kind of way. This is the first time I've seen that. What is that saying? that I never see that. What message is that sending to black people that I've never seen that until this? So you feel this sense of pride that Wakanda was this great place that there's a reason, like it just struck me, but there's a reason why that happened. And I'll let you get your own conclusions. But Wakanda was this great place to be proud of right there in Africa when the only stories we ever see about Africa is that it's a third world country, is that it's poor. We don't hear anything. You have to go to an African history museum to see the great things that happened in Africa throughout the centuries until it was raped. And I won't get racial, but until it was raped. And then until the people within the continent just destroyed all the time. But... It is quality. I I believe in something called black excellence. And it's that if you build it, they will come. If you make something that's good, all races will come see it. And it doesn't have to be a black movie. Black Panther was not a black movie. It was a movie with black people in it. It was a movie that had a setting where black people, well, we all come from, but where black people came from. That's the difference. That's why I don't watch Medea, because that is a Black movie. The themes and the action and everything that was in Black Panther has been in every other Marvel movie. And these are universal themes. They just had Black faces on them finally. And they want stereotypical characters. And the culture of Africa and the dress design and and the outfits, all of those things were... African, well, not even African-American, so I'm so you said they were African. It was just beautiful to see a culture celebrated, to create a world. Every time we see an ancient culture, it's based on some form of, of British. When we see a king, we think of the monarchs in England. He even said, uh, Killmonger even said that the sun will never set on the Wakandan Empire. It was it was barring a line historically that British used. So that which was beautiful. And it's not even it's not just important that black people see it. It's important that white people see it. It's important that Hispanic people see black people depicted in a good light. Like we're not asking for anything special. We're just asking that sometimes you make us look good. Sometimes we're not the slave getting beaten. Sometimes we're not the gangster. Denzel won his Oscar 
for being a corrupt cop. Holly Berry had to be a hoe. Uh, what's her name? That won't do the damn Netflix special for any money. Monique had to be like a abusive drug addict mom. Sidney Pontier, the GOAT, was just a regular character. But I can't think of black characters that are given uh, any kind of credence by Hollywood unless they go to the dark side, unless they fulfill some sort of stereotype. That's why Black Panther is so important as a movie. I took my boys. Yeah, Morgan does have good roles. That's a good one. Um, I took my boys to see it. I took one of my boys. My oldest boy was too uh, too good for it to go. Yeah, Morgan Freeman was God. That's a good example. Um, Samuel L. Jackson would be the opposite. Um, I took my boys, or I took one of my boys, and I took his sister, who is white. So I'm sitting there with a white girl that's in fourth grade and my son, who's half white, and watched them watch Black Panther. So I can't tell you how much that, and probably having a black brother and having a dad that she sees with her black brother all the time is probably life changing too. But to see that, she's on the edge of her seat watching that. Do you think my grandparents thought that was possible? That all black cast almost, and a little white girl sitting there watching it, taken there by a black man, and no, I'm the grandson of a sharecropper. Do you think that he would even could fathom what happened? But people are trying to minimize it, but it's a huge cultural thing. The movie itself, again, it's quality. If, if you produce quality, people will see it. The Cosby Show is a bad example, but I grew up watching it, and it's a bad example now because of Bill Cosby. But it didn't advertise itself as a black show. But you had a doctor, you had a lawyer that were black. You had a, a family. It wasn't a black show. It was just a show with black people in it. You had a family that went through the same struggles as everybody else did. And it was good. And white people watched it. And black people watched it. Everybody watched Cosby Show on Thursday nights because it was good. And nobody's asking for special treatment. Just asking for, hey, depict us like you depict everybody else. Like blackish is very similar. It, and blackish at times does become a black show because they kind of hit you over the head with it more than maybe they should. But it's still a good show. And when you do that, people will come to see it if you produce quality. The show, the thing itself, the movie itself is a morality play. I won't spoil it for you, but basically the country of Wakanda is technologically advanced to the max. They have this special metal that's the strongest metal on earth. I can't, vibranium, that's what it's called. And the vibranium is the strongest metal on earth. It powers their city. And But they, the morality of it is that they don't go outside. They don't let anybody know about their secret. And they, they won't. And there are people that believe that they should. They should help blacks in the inner city in Los Angeles. They should help people in Africa that are being oppressed. But there's a group within that country, most of the people there, don't believe they should do that. And the movie does interesting things with this morality play. And you've got to give it to Michael B. Jordan, maybe the best Marvel hero ever. Joe Matz and I were going over that. I think that's still Loki. But he definitely, Killmonger definitely is up there for the greatest Marvel heroes. Because the best villain is the villain that thinks he's the hero of the story or thinks he's right. And what Michael B. Jordan did was fantastic. He gave us a contrast where you weren't really sure who to root for when you really thought about it. They tied in the current events of how Black people in America and how Black people all across the world, but they weren't necessarily blaming anybody. There were some funny lines with the white people that were kind of pushed to the side. 
I, I, I like that, actually. I mean, it's kind of cool. Martin Freeman played the CIA agent, and there were a lot of times where white people were pushed to the side. But how many times have you seen just like the black sidekick that really has not a lot to do? And Martin Freeman was kind of pushed to the side and given a little thing to do. So it was just a little role reversal, and it probably made people feel good. And the guy wouldn't let Martin Freeman talk. So there was a little bit of, uh, what do you call it? Audience pleasure. That's not what you call it. Uh, fan service as far as with black people. But it was respectful. It wasn't like out racist. It wasn't what it sounded like. Don't get scared because it was called white. I mean, called Black Panther black people. I mean, uh, white people. But anyway, it was just a great movie. I love it. I'm going to try to do this. If you enjoy it, I'm trying to do this thing. If you enjoy me, you enjoy what I say, you enjoy the strange of ideas. Just share it, say what it's about, everything. I'm going to try to do this every week. Uh, it's a challenge to prepare. So I'm getting back in the saddle, though. So you're going to see more from me. Share it, like it, spread the word. RC's Weekend Review.